Hello and welcome to the Disney Animated Cannonball, the podcast where I, Talon Lee, he, him, and I, Fox Lee, she, her, walk our way trudgily through the morass that is Walt Disney's economical leavings as he smears his balls all over <laughs> global culture forever. <laughs> uh, okay, we're in a bit of a mood this week, this episode, this episode. <laughs> Uh, because we watched 1990's The Rescuers Down Under. That's right. There was a movie that came after The Little Mermaid that uh-huh. wasn't a Disney Renaissance-style movie. Yeah. And you completely fucking forgot about it. Yeah. Because it was this. <laughs> yeah. Now, one of the things that's fun about this movie, looking back on it, is that there is a degree to which people are saying like, Hey, you know, The Rescuers Down Under is a lot better than people give it credit. You know, it's really imaginative, and it's really beautiful, and it looks really cool, and these people are all fucking Americans. But before we can properly incorporate you into this experience, we must first tell you the plot in 60 seconds. For you see, we must construct this effigy so it screams when we burn it. Oh shit, it's my turn, isn't it? It is your turn. Ooh, ah, okay. Hmm, plot in 60 seconds. All right, I can do this. Your time starts now. Okay, somewhere in the Australian outback, there is a very Australian child, we swear, who helps a giant eagle escape from a poacher's trap, but in doing so, is kidnapped by the poacher himself, who still wants to get his hands on the eagle. Who will help our young protagonist? Why, it's the rescuers, Bernard and Miss Bianca, from the 70s or something, I think. Uh, and they're gonna go to Australia and help him. Well, Bernard's mostly trying to propose in this movie, but uh, he will be continually interrupted as he tries to do this. Anyway, they head to Australia, they meet up with a rat kangaroo who's cooler than both of them. Him, his name is Jake and he's kind of an asshole. And uh, there are various shenanigans where nothing of meaning happens for the most part until the poacher comes up with the plan to let him go, bluffing that the eagle is already dead knowing that Cody will go and try and save the eggs of this eagle, thus leading him straight to her. The poacher captures the eagle uh, and uh, tries to dispose of Cody by feeding him to crocodiles, and it's up to Bernard, who has been getting offstage this entire time, to come back at the last minute and save the day for everyone. One minute, eight seconds. Eh, I'm not really going to take the win on this, because I left out too much, but... You know, this is a movie where a lot of stuff actually happens, which is kind of nice. Yes, breaking the trend of Rescuers-related content. That's <laughs> true. The other Rescuers was, like, it, it was a lot better than we expected, but it's not an eventful movie for the most part. Mm-hmm. Stuff doesn't really happen until the last act. As far as prior relationships to this movie goes, pass. What about you? Uh, this is one of the first movies I can ever remember seeing in a theatre. I, I saw this when it was contemporary. Somehow. I'm not sure how. I think one of my friends was going and I got to go as their birthday or something. Mm. Uh, anyway, uh, and I also had the, you know, the little storybook versions they used to do with, with Scholastic or whatever, and you'd get them through book club, and they had, like, a pretty standard novelization and, like, a centerpiece with stills from the movie on glossy color pages. You know, like, four pages of movie stills and a, a pretty mediocre book. Yeah, I, I remember that kind of thing. Yeah, I probably still got it somewhere. <laughs> uh, anyway, but despite all that, I wasn't what you would call attached to this movie. I remember I liked Jake at the time. He's cute. Yeah. He's not very nice. No. But, you know. Well, that leads neatly into the double take. Is there anything that's different now to your opinion <laughs> then? Jake's not very nice. Yeah. I, I get the impression he would have been a good proto-crush. For kids in the right age range who are a bit furry after Robin Hood. Oh, yeah, totally. But well, who, who, me? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, like, looking back on him, he's just a bit of a dick. He, Yeah, I, I think it would have been better if they played him straighter and had him actually be, like, genuinely nice and considerate the whole way along. So it's just like, fuck you, you incredibly effective, handsome badass who's just totally stepping in on my romance. Yeah, like, Jake... Well, well, we'll learn why Jake is the way Jake is later. <laughs> Will we? I don't remember this being addressed. Oh, yes. We're going to go in on that. Oh, you don't mean diegetically. Mm-hmm. You mean complications. Uh-huh. Cool. Well, that's going to be fun. I don't have any double take because <laughs> I had no previous relationship to this movie. Well, that was easy. Yeah. 
Which means, with a creak, we open the yikes door. What's the yikes door? And I'd like to I'd like to hold up a hand here. Here in the Yikes store, I would like to just talk about a few small things that are not part of the greater thesis, which I'm sure you might have picked up a vibe from me that this movie made me angry. The 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 meat of this movie is going to be us being cranky about representation. I'll I'll give the audience that for free. Uh, now for me, everything that might have been yikes is kind of folded into that. So what do you have that was worth bringing up here specifically? It's not a big thing, but could Wilbur go one scene without a joke about being a big fat guy? <laughs> like, well, it's just true. always there. Hmm. I, I'd like to know the context of that. Because on one hand, I saw it like, I had the impression that was John Candy's thing? John Candy did a lot of comedy like that, yeah. And like, on one hand... I hate the game, not the player. I, you know, if you're a fat comedian, then you're expected to find the fact that you're fat to be a, a subject of comedy. Yeah. You don't really get a choice. But yeah, I, uh, you're, you're right. It's yikesy. It's just bound up in a lot of crap. Yeah. And like, I'm not saying John Candy was bad for doing it, but I am saying in this work, the result is that Wilbur is constantly talking about how his predominant characteristic is that he is a horrible factor. Um, everything else chains off that his obnoxiousness his overconfidence it's all meant to be funny because he's a fat guy and fat guys don't get to be confident or competent Ima imagine if he had landed perfectly well i mean that wouldn't have given us the action scene but... no sure and, and you know we would have had to have something else in its place but it would tell you something about his character that was different <laughs> to just i'm big and fat uh, yeah yeah i guess I don't know. I don't think that would have improved the movie. Probably not. But that's probably because he's also just a jerk butt in general. So I would not have found that sequence. Uh, like, that sequence would have been worse if it had been American says they know what they're doing and they do! They're perfect. <laughs> like, nah, fuck that. Uh, well, I, that's all we got for the Ike store, I guess. But, uh, you know, let's, let's, uh, we'll leave it cracked open. We may need to let some gas escape later on. Yep. Next, we move on to the animation and making of this movie. And this is where things are going to get a little complicated because there is some stuff about the making of this movie that is the shape of a better movie. <laughs> well, I mean, this is, artistically, this is a very good movie. Yeah. Uh, there's some CG that hasn't aged super well. My main note was our top-down shots of New York City, which were very just sort of featureless buildings. Yeah. Eh. There is an enormous amount of CG that has aged so incredibly well, you don't realize it's CG. Well, yeah, and I, I don't mean to uh, to downplay any of that. Like, they were obviously getting their eye in at this point. So, my first note on this is, it's boringly amazing in every way it can be. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Like, the fact that some things stand out as being a bit odd-looking is itself kind of impressive. So... I want to tell you something interesting about this movie in a positive way that doesn't involve getting angry at it. Oh, sure. This is the first fully digitally animated feature film. Oh, yes. It's the first one where they ditched the, the actual hand-drawn cell stage of things and they yeah. drew directly onto yeah. uh, digital cells. It was sketch to digital inking using a system that at the time was called the CAPS system of Computer Animation Production System, which I guess makes it the CAPS system system. Sorry, yeah, not ditching hand-drawn, ditching hand-inked. Yes, yeah. this is the first movie with no material inking, which meant that they, to make um, <laughs> cells... Well, not quite, because the xerography era was all about not having to ink anything anymore. This is the first one without any traditional painting. Yeah, um, but it was uh, also, interestingly, the first time Disney collaborated with a little starting up company that was really interested in doing oh, digital animation. Yes, how could I forget? Called Pixar. It's, uh, it's the start of a, I was going to say beautiful relationship, but complicated relationship might be the better way to label it. Yeah. So that's that's just like, as a digital feature, this is the first... This, this movie uses digital, what we would call CG, so amazingly well, it's what we, of my generation, think of. Like, that's how traditional animation looks. I mean... I will hasten to say nobody thinks of digital ink and paint as CG. Yeah. 
Like, that's that's never been what anyone has meant talking about it. It's true, but at the time, it allowed them to do things like work on a scale that was unprecedented, which meant more frames, which meant more time to use on everything. And that's why this looks so good. It also let them do things like multiplane cameras in 2D, so they could, like, move... They could have a background that was bigger than the shot and move uh, move the background dynamically instead of having to reconstruct it and move... Which, which could lead to some problems. It's, yeah. it's not... You know, this is stuff that they had overcome, but the fact that they could now do it meant that those do it so easily meant that lots of those shots became more common. We're also seeing a like a totally different level of special effects here too, in like a really mundane way. Like uh having a character wearing blush that is like soft shaded on there. Yeah. In scenes where she is fully animated, nevertheless, like it's just a thing you can do super easily when you're you're doing your ink and paint digitally. Mm-hmm. It becomes trivial. Also, remember that conversation about the first Rescuers? How the xerography had the breakthrough of doing two colours of line? I do. Now we're in the Disney era of we can colour the lines whatever colour we goddamn want, please. Oh, hell yeah. I mean, that's definitely why Golden Eagle is interpreted in this case to mean literally gold for some fucking reason. Yeah. (laughs) That's a take. So, yeah, there you go. Genuinely interesting milestone of animation. It looks freaking gorgeous. It do. The character expression through motion, the kinds of shots they composed. Excellent. Yada, yada, yada. I do not wish to downsell that, and especially the flight scenes. Oh, look at him fucking showing off with that bird. Oh, I get why so they, good. I get why they wanted to, to make this the, the first thing they, they did to <clears throat> stretch their wings with this technology. <laughs> I, I, I'm sure that that played a role in what this film is mm-hmm. and what they chose to make these big set piece characters. In fact, that's a detail from the what could have been notes here, where um, this was almost a musical. That would have been nice. And they got so into using the long swooping shots and the big, <laughs> big organic use of space that they were like, music would really break this up. Oh, could man. we not? <laughs> Imagine if you managed to put some really dramatic songs in those big swooping flight scenes, though. Especially when you got these two characters who who have such a developing romance between them. You know, they could sing an amazing song to each other flying out <laughs> of the night sky. So, That's probably a shit idea. Who would do that? See, the thing is, on the one hand, you're looking forward to Aladdin, and I'm <laughs> looking back to Superman. Oh my god. No, literally has to come out of their mouths. We are not doing Fox and the Hound again. I refuse. Hey, Fox, you want to know some facts about the voice talent in this movie? Sure. Uh, I mean, we we have our original Rescuers voice cast back. Yeah. Oh, well, okay, we have our main characters of our original Rescuers voice cast. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we've already mentioned John Candy, who will be our albatross for this movie. Yep. Uh, would you like to take a guess on... Are there any Australian actors in this movie? <laughs> I saved this for my later complaints section. Mm. Uh, but my assumption was that every Australian... I mean, it's not hard to tell, but most of the Australian accents are faked. Uh, or not even Australian accents. <laughs> yeah, almost like several of them are not trying. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and we'll get onto that when, when we get into the meat of this one. Um, but of those that were trying... Uh, I could go either way on Jake. He's not an authentic Australian accent, but he sounds like the accent a lot of Australians put on to be in movies for America at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, the only other character I suspect of being actually Australian is the shitty koala. There are three instances... Three? ...of an Australian voice coming through those speakers. Uh-huh. Oh, the TV announcer. That the, was an Australian. The TV announcer? The airplane announcer... <laughs> who are both the same guy, Peter Greenwood, and Tristan Rogers, the voice of Jake. Hey, he was an actual Australian. But. Ah, oh, the koala's a Brit, isn't he? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that'd be it. Tristan Rogers, mm-hmm. born in Melbourne, moved to California when he was 10. Ah, yeah, yeah. Has been acting in America as an American <laughs> since 1974. Wow. He plays... Robert Scorpio in General Hospital, a Uh, character he is still playing. I'm sorry, how does the name Robert Scorpio go with the name General Hospital? You tell me General Hospital and I'm seeing, like, country practice. Um, General Hospital is a long-running soap opera. 
of the, oh, the doctor's brain got replaced kind of thing. Oh, God. Okay. Well, that, yeah, okay, that totally fits then. I'm terribly sorry. Your dick is going to die. <laughs> Can we save it? Oh, it seems I got the wrong diagnosis. You instead have cancer of the ass. Anyway. Um, but my dick's going to survive. Meh. Let's say yes. Anyway, uh, this then leads into just two other minor notes. Uh, Frank Welker. Hi there. He's, hey! he's here again. He's both Joanna and Marahute. <laughs> so, yeah. And uh, Cody. Cody's voice actor is a guy called Adam Ryan. Who's never been to Australia in his fucking life. He's Norwegian. <laughs> sure. Like, not Norwegian <laughs> by descent. He's born in Norway. Wait, what? He's ESL. Did he at least live in... What the fuck? Dizzy! And by the way... You couldn't just hire an Australian kid! Well, we'll get to that. Um, If you happen to be in Norway and you happen to like detective dramas, Adam Ryan's writing a bunch of them. He went back home to Norway when he stopped being a kid actor and just started plowing into writing in Norway. He's one of the youngest people to ever get a, a Norwegian uh, Screenwriters Guild version uh, yeah. credit at the age of 13. He wrote a TV episode at the age of 13. So... Of course, I, as someone who felt under... You know, Intensely jealous. Exactly. <laughs> Stupid kid. I guess Norway actually appreciates its youth. <laughs> well, he sucks in this. Well, and no, I mean, his acting is absolutely fine. He is yeah. way better than Penny yeah. from the first Rescuers. But I hate every word that comes out of his fucking mouth. Yeah. Because main content of this episode... From that we now get into, and this is going to roll straight into the grand thesis, so buckle up! Uh, we're building up steam! What could have been? Uh-huh. So, the storyboard artist for this was a man named Joe Ranft. I don't want to get into a lot of the politics around the animators and that team and all that stuff, because while Musker and Clements have proven themselves on Little Mermaid, they hopped onto the next project, which was... Beauty and the Beast. Mm -hmm. So this is effectively like the last thing of the previous era, not the next thing in this era. Yeah, definitely. Joe Ranft got the storyboard artists and animators together and petitioned to make Cody an Aboriginal kid. Holy shit! With an Australian Aboriginal actor. Oh. Taking a moment away from the mic. Holy crap. Oh, fuck me. This was directly overruled by Katzenberg. Fuck you, Katzenberg. Oh, fuck you. Oh my god. That's better than Australia had managed to do at that point. Yeah. Oh, that would have been amazing. Don't get me wrong. The narrative of, hey, Americans come save us still would have kind of sucked, but. Oh, god. I can forgive it when it's a Hungarian and an American yeah. and it's mice. Like, there's a little flex there. Yeah. And it's not like you would have gotten help from the Australian government. <clears throat> the Imagine if Jake had been as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Just, if you're a fucking Australian native creature, then you have an Aboriginal voice actor. That would have been fucking incredible. If the, if the Australian native animals in this movie were voiced by Aboriginal actors, it would have been the most work that, mm. <laughs> like, that... That would make this one of the best movies for representation in history, even now. I want to see that, and McLeach is still a shitty Texan. <laughs> that would be incredible. So, the animation of the animals was done by, according to Wikipedia, which is quoting a book, and I checked the book and the passage does mention this, to ensure authenticity of animation, the animators came out to Australia and spent several days... Looking at Australian wildlife. Oh, several whole fucking days. Several whole fucking days. Whoa. During which time it mentioned that they went to Kakadu and the and Uluru and the Daintree. <laughs> which means to say they spent less than a day in each of those locations. Kind of like those are a bit distant from one another. And several days traveling because you can fit multiple mm. Texases between all of those. And like you're not guaranteed to see a hell of a lot of animal like you if you were studying animal motion you would have been better off going to a zoo well it turns out that that's what they did in san diego to observe oh, the kangaroos kookaburras and snakes well then they have no excuse for how stupid the kookaburras look yep but uh there is a major animated character who is an australian animal in this joanna who they got by animating an iguana 
course I fucking did. And like that shouldn't even have been that hard. Like yeah. Goanna's uh as I find uh a non-specific category of monitor lizards, of which they have plenty in America, even the kinds that we have here. Yeah! They should have been able to get one of those. Yeah. It's not that fucking hard. So they did this this is one of those times where you get to look at hang on, like they say we did all this research, but you fucking didn't. We know you didn't, because we can look at what you produced, and you clearly didn't do much research at all. I mean, it doesn't matter anyway, because ding, 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 Joanna's a dog. Joanna's a fucking dog. <laughs> such a fucking dog. And thus, we get to the question of what is it like to see yourself in media? Right, yeah, so if it hasn't come across yet, this movie happened at the height of America having a real thing for Australian exported culture. <laughs> In fact, uh, the idea was to make it like Crocodile Dundee, and that is why Jake is the oh, way he is. Yeah, I mean, it's so very obvious. He is directly modelled on, on Crocodile Dundee. I mean, why else would he be dressed like that? Don't be, don't be wrong, that outfit, like, you know, shorts and a shirt and a, and a hat. He's not wearing shorts. He's not wearing shorts? Uh, Crocodile Dundee is, Jake's not. I've, I've just... Consciously gone. Well, he's he's wearing a full ranger outfit. He got dumb rat kangaroo hips. You can't put shorts on that. That's reasonable, understandable. <laughs> Jake got dumps. <laughs> Jake brings all the cake to the party. <gasps> the original Pixar ass. <laughs> this is where it started. This is where it starts. <laughs> you can't contain that booty. <laughs> this movie is constructed almost entirely of the image of Australian things. As presented by non-Australian people who did not listen to or respect Australian people. I mean, the very first thought I wrote down when the opening of this movie happens and we get our, like, bugs in the grass lead into a, a big, racing, dramatic pan shot of non-specific scrubland eventually leading up to Uluru is, like, it must be the heckin' rainy season in Uluru, because this is so- Look, what is this? This carpet of flowers! What's with the tulips? What is going on here? What's the living crap? Like, I've seen that. That's from Kakadu. Yeah. But you don't rush out of Kakadu to behold the grand fisture of the rock. Yeah, and, you know, I I imagine there are some angles you can go to Katatucha and see Uluru like that, but- no one's house is right next to it. No, that was my second note. There's just one little lone white mother and her child shack right at the foot of the rock. What the fuck planet is this? I, I stopped taking notes on the anachronisms. <laughs> because in the opening five minutes, they just dump them on you so hard that I'm just like... McLeach mentions that Joanna's ho Joanna must have made the hole while burying squirrels. I got a note card for that! We don't have squirrels here! There are no fucking squirrels in this country. L literally, at all. There might be some in a zoo. But by the way, the nearest zoo to Uluru is in Alice Springs, which is a thousand kilometers away. It's, it's quite big here. The scale of the country. Just the basic question of how big is Australia is completely lost. I mean, the fact that they clearly have a rainforest scene within a day's drive of Not even! He walks from his house into it! Fucking desert fortress. Ah! I, don't, I mean, we've gone from the house at the foot of Uluru to a rainforest to opal mines in the red desert wasteland. Christ! Opal mines are a South Australian thing. You're not even in the right fucking territory anymore. Yeah, it's, uh... Okay. So, we're taking some liberties with scale. This will also extend to the animals we see in this movie, because we have some tiny fucking kookaburras and- Amazingly small kookaburras. They're like fucking <laughs> Disney bluebirds. And then a fucking house cat-sized sugar glider? Like, motherfucker! That thing is enormous. That thing- Clearly, someone looked at a possum, and looked at a sugar glider, and went, they have roughly the same shape of head, must be the same thing. Must be the same thing. Well, yeah, sugar gliders are very closely related to possums, it's just that also you can't be very heavy if you're gonna try and fly with skin flaps. A sugar glider is about the size of my hand, a possum in body weight is about half the size of my dog. I will say, that depends what possum. Because remember, there's shitloads of possums. That's true. Uh, Jake gets to live in a nebulous <laughs> space, where obviously he's not actually either kind of kangaroo rat, but if he is a kangaroo rat, he's the smaller one, because the bigger kangaroo rat is about 
15 centimeters long and weighs two kilos. <laughs> well, there are rat kangaroos and there are kangaroo rats, and then there are a whole variety of marsupial mice. Yeah. Which are, of course, not actually mice, but, you know, they look kind of like mice, and they hop. And Jake could be any one of these things. He's not a bilby, I don't think, because his ears are way too small, but he could be just about any of the other ones, given stylization. And I think that's part of the problem, because by stylizing him in this way, you have diminished whatever he had that wasn't the uh, thing just like Bernard and Bianca. Like, he is he is a mouse. He is a mouse with a kangaroo's tail. I don't know, he hops. Yeah, sure. But, like, scale-wise, body-wise, he is more akin to them than he is to the animal he's meant to represent. Well, once again, I have seen marsupial mice that are almost exactly like what he is, and almost exactly mouse size. Yeah, fair so, enough. Like, okay, he'd be a bit bigger, but I mean, he could be a dunnit. But like, you see how you see how like yeah, like I said, there's a lot of things that he could be. This is the other thing. Like, the desert wildlife in Australia is fantastically diverse. It's not like there are four or five things he could be. It's like there are thirty to forty things he could be, hey. and a bunch of them aren't called kangaroo or rat or mice or anything like that. But they never qualify what he is in the movie either. That's true. I'm sure the Wikipedia page tries to say what he is. And the novelization definitely calls him a, a rat kangaroo. Yeah. But uh, the movie does not specify, and I think that is to its credit. There's Marahute. There is Marahute. Uh, so golden eagles are a real species, and they're not dragons. <laughs> okay, so let let us for a moment... Set aside the scale of Marahute. Okay. Because Marahute scale-wise is... You're right, she's a dragon. She is comparable in size to a pterosaur. Yeah. Like, okay, fine. She's gigantic because the movie needs her to be gigantic. And, like, whatever. It it, it honestly doesn't matter. Scale is not that big of an issue. Here are three things about this. One, golden eagles aren't Australian. That was the other thing I was going to bring up. Yeah. They're from New Zealand and they're extinct. She'd be a wedge-tailed eagle if she was real and Australian. She would be a wedge-tailed eagle. Her cry is a red hawk. Of course it is. And her body is modelled, and the way she looks is not a wedge-tailed eagle. She's modelled on a northern eagle. As in the American one, right? As in one of the most common North American ones. Yeah, yeah. So, oh, and she has a bald eagle's head, but like, whatever. Americans only know how to do one kind of eagle. It, it It is insulting because... A wedge-tailed eagle is one of the biggest flying predatory birds you'll ever see. Wedge-tailed eagles take sheep. Here's the thing. You mentioned she's that big because the story needs her to be, but I will forward to you it does not, because a wedge-tail could probably lift Cody. Yes. Just saying. He couldn't ride on its back like it was designed for him, but it could lift him. Yeah. Wedge-tailed eagles in the real world are really hecking big. Uh, and, and this is also the thing with the kookaburras. Little baby kookaburras are like bluebirds. It's so tiny. No, a kookaburra is like a footballer. They're it's like this... little British kingfishers, those ones. Yeah, it, a, a, a kookaburra has this big, brawny, muscular thing that will go through a window at you. Thick lads. Yeah. I, I kind of love, I'm not a bird person in general, but I love kookaburras because they're such little fucking chonkers. They're goons. They, they are goons, They will fly yes. down into your barbecue and they will steal food off a hot plate. I mean, they're made to whip snakes until they die, right? Yeah. You you have to be pretty solidly built to get away with that nonsense. <laughs> and, and, you know, fairly heat proof as well to live in this country, so, yeah. yeah. It's true. Okay, so, issues of scale everywhere, all the time, everything. All right, we can deal with that. Marahute's name. I had this one too. I don't know the source of this name, but I suspect this is a made-up name. And the reason I suspect that is because if you weren't, like, okay, it doesn't sound like any Australian Aboriginal language I have ever heard in my life. I'm not an expert, and there are a squadillion of these dialects, and we extincted most of them because colonialism is bullshit. But I have never heard a word that sounds like Marahute here. What it does sound like is if you were an American going, this sounds like a native kind of word. And it also kind of sounds like mother and hoot, which is kind of a bird thing. So yeah. we'll just push that together. It sounds like a fucking D&D name, I guess is what I'm saying. There is a language it does sound like to me, someone who is not well versed in this stuff. Uh-huh. But it's a Maori! <laughs> I couldn't tell you. It sounds like a Maori name to me. And... I say that after having done five pages of Google searching, trying to find a reference to this word 
that is not explicitly linked back. Oh, so you to also the rescuers. can't find it. Yeah, um, and and indeed, I found uh, I found one darling story of someone who has named a golf course after it. A custom golf course you can download and play in a golf course simulator on a golf course <laughs> forum. And this person apparently routinely would name their uh, different courses Maori words because they're a Maori user. And yeah, that's cool. And someone else asked, like, well, you call this one Marahute. Is that a Maori word? Because it's always been so fun to learn the, the Maori language through you. And it's like, no, it's just a thing from a kid from a movie I watched <laughs> as a kid. So, oh my god. So someone who at least has some passing fluency with Ma- with Maori didn't look at Marahute and go, oh, that's a word. <laughs> like, it is it is very odd to me. Highly suspect. And like if they had the etymology of it, I feel like the kind of Disney people would have put that right the hell out there. Oh, yeah, that would be everyone's favorite piece of trivia about this. Everyone loves to know like they've learned a foreign word. Everyone likes to feel like they've learned a foreign word from a cartoon. Yeah. Why do you think anime is so popular? You like you like making a point of the fact you learn English words from cartoons. <laughs> it's true. Uh, none that I can recall learning from this, but I would have been like mm-hmm. six or seven, seven or eight. Uh, it's seven. You yeah, seven. Okay. Yeah. My vocabulary had probably mostly filled out by now. It is interesting in the ways that it does touch on real things, like poaching and illegal trade of Australian animals was a problem. Yeah. Good plot. Great plot. Great idea. Especially if they'd have the balls to make the kid indigenous. That would have oh, been incredible. Oh, holy crap. Yes. And like, McLeach should have been Australian. Because, like, everything in this movie isn't. But if he had been, if it had been a matter of, like, here is one guy and he's an American here to do this kind of stuff, and he's bringing a Texas attitude and Texas guns, then, yeah, sure, actually, I'm fine with that. But, and, like, these people are impressive talents as well. That's, that's, um... No one is doing a bad job in this movie, which is why it just... It's even more fucking irritating that they're all a bunch of, well, apparently not even Americans, but, like, outsourced from other countries. And when the image we see in this movie that's ostensibly about Australia is that our country is a tiny place with three things in it and an animal culture that is expressed through the British primarily. (laughs) Oh god, yes, when they- sorry, you just reminded me that they also land in Sydney. No doubt just for the pop of like, hey, it's Sydney. Everyone recognizes Sydney. And that's a real good diagram of Sydney circa 1990. That's what Sydney Harbour looked like. But I nev- know, we went there We went there for like trips on the regular. But nevertheless, they're still choosing the closest international airport to Uluru as being Sydney. Yeah, which is, it, it's, <sighs> a, it's a day's flight from Uluru to Sydney. And not if you're an albatross. Yeah. And that's that's in a commercial airliner. Australia is an enormous country. We had a continuity of 60,000 years of different cultures living. We have languages that reach back to a time before people in Europe were even building huts. And the idea that it is this small, pokey, novel island, which is pretty much Britain, and everything in it can be pretty much an American version of it, just deeply incenses me. And this is the Walt Disney Company. This is the culture chewing on my nation and vomiting it back into my lap and saying, aren't you fucking grateful? I would agree, except this wasn't made for us either. No. This was made for Americans. Yeah. To go, oh yeah, Australia's trendy. Yeah, it's true. We were we were a trend. We were a fashion. We were a label. Yeah, absolutely we were. And the fact that Joel, Joe Ranch was this close to making this movie basically the most expensive thing to ever frontline oh. an Australian Aboriginal actor, a child actor at that. What could have been? That could have been something fantastic. And Katzenberg went on the principle that, no, Americans don't want anything too Australian. And they hired a Norwegian kid. <laughs> Every time that kid It's very unfortunate that his dialogue includes him saying Mom so many times Mom! Because every time I heard the word Mom I wanted to scream I fucking hate that word <sighs> Every localized video game Every fucking Show me <sighs> you don't know Australia without saying you don't know Australia <laughs> You're goddamn right And then at the very end of the movie They have him try and drop a mate And it's just the worst it's sounding thing or- Like Oh, no, no, st- no, that is not your word. But the Christ. damn, 
Ah, uh, like, horrid. They, they could have even just thrown in an excuse of like having it mention that Cody was born in America or Cody's not from around here and his like you know his parents came out to Uluru to work as park rangers. It can like yeah, make them research scientists or something. That happens all the they time. Have to bring their kid with them. Yeah, whatever. People People, you know, because of that whole diversity of wildlife and that really amazing, like, ecological and, and environmental history, Australia gets researchers from all over the world all the time. Oh, you could say his parents came out here to research animal movement for an animated movie they were working on. Well, it'll be here for three days. <laughs> That's long enough for him to make friends with all the local wildlife, right? Yeah. Who also don't have australian accents yep every goddamn that first fucking kangaroo he talks to who's god that that actress is uh what's her name i think he actually names her it's like kalu or something anyway she's doing her darndest but she cannot do an australian accent his fucking mom can't do an australian accent and this is one of the things i find so funny about this because the australian accent is represented through things like this americans don't know that they're not hearing good australian accents that fucking voice that comes through on the TV just makes it so... Just hits you like a brick? Cuts through like, oh yeah, that's what O oh sounds like. That's what a good round O oh sounds like. That's not an all. Oh. Yeah. God damn, man. I At least the funny animals who, you know, appear for one fucking scene to make jokes, which are not very funny for the most part. No. And then piss off again. At least you could have, like, spotted some Australian comedians there. Yeah. Wouldn't that have been the thing to do? This is 1990. Hey, goofy bit parts that don't get a lot of dialogues. You they would have, have flown over. Yeah. It's the weirdest fucking thing. They would, have, they would have done it for very low rates. Obviously, our villain's not Australian either, which, you know, we've already addressed him. He kind of works as a Texan. But if we're being emotionally honest, it would have made more sense to have him be Australian too. Because, like, the people poaching wildlife in uh indigenous territory are not fucking foreigners no <laughs> no, no it was us. just white people who don't give a fuck and, and to be fair also if you know a guy who's got a gun and a truck who goes around hunting in even in 1990 he doesn't need to hunt native species there are feral animals and he can make a very healthy living on just hunting them ah no but there, were, there, there was like an illicit fur and leather trade and all oh that yes absolutely things. Yeah. It's not that you need to do it, but McLeach is obviously a character who's depicted as loving this as well, so I'm not yeah. going to tax them for that. Like, like, he likes hurting animals. This is like, you know, oh, why would you make such a pantomime of killing the child at the end? Because he enjoys this. Come on, he's a Disney villain. Because he's, he's a monstrous joke of a villain. And he that's is. great. We don't we we love us a ridiculous over-the-top villain. Did, did you note any of the things that they do get credit for doing? Because I had a few of those. Like, I, I want to commend them for at least making the fucking desert red. Yes. Because a lot of the time you see Americans doing the Australian desert and they think it's like their fucking desert, so they make it yellow. Yeah. That's not how it is. The the actual fact that it started at Katatucha and then moved to Uluru, that's legitimately cool. I, I quite like that. Though I'm sure that they call it the Olgas. Oh, Probably. But, the, I mean, we still would have been calling it as rock back That's then. That's true. We can't really fault them for that if we're not going to fix it ourselves. Um, I love the amount of corrugated iron we see yes. in McLeach's Fortress. That is a million percent spot on correct. There has never been a fucking Australian in the world who hasn't had to cobble together some kind of shelter for something at some point and gone, here's a bit of corrugated iron, that'll fucking do. Or these days, a bit of corrugated plastic because it fits with the corrugated iron. <laughs> Uh, these days, maybe a bit of color bond. Yeah. Ooh, the brand name stuff. Ooh. I. You know what the worst thing about color bond is? Have you looked at how it's spelled? It's spelled American the ways. The brand name is spelled American ways, and I don't think that's because it's American, because they don't seem to know what it fucking is. It's to improve uh, sales internationally. Uh, I hate it. I hate it so much. Just another way in which we, in order to be part of the empire, diminish elements of ourselves. <laughs> also, fly screen. God, it was nice seeing fly screens on something for yes. once. Yes. Though, though, while we're at it, a mouse will go through fly screen, all right? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I get why they couldn't have our two characters escape, because Banan has to make himself a comeback right at the end. But, yeah, fly screen's not going to stop a mouse. Uh, it was nice that a bush pig showed up. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, and McLeach calling it a Razorback isn't incorrect. Isn't it? No, because, like, if you're an American, which he clearly is. Oh, for an American. Yeah, okay. Because I had a note on that being like, who the fuck says Razorback? 
It's a pig. You just call it a pig. You yeah. You call it a pig. You might call it a bush pig. A fucking pig, probably, but they didn't want to put that in there. Yeah. And, like, I get it. Not everyone's going to swear on a property. Well, you might call it, ah, ah, shit, shit, fuck, fuck, that fucking pig cunt. Also, that thing is really small by the standards of a feral pig. A fairly small pig, yeah. It was just a one-man pig. But again, scale. <laughs> yeah, we have already discussed how scale is bullshit. On that topic, the crocodiles are a bit small, too. Yeah, no, those, those crocodiles. The, the idea of, like... Fox, Fox managed to hold it together for a lot of this movie, <laughs> but the moment they saw him fighting, but the moment Fox saw him fighting off crocodiles <laughs> with his fists, I heard her distinctly say, nah. Ah, oh, fuck this guy, he's dead. He's fucking dead. <laughs> oh no, he fell off the falls. Nah, this no. is the idea that man's eaten. Yeah, that is a collective hallucination by everyone to convince themselves that Cody did not just see that river turn into tomato soup. <laughs> you know fuck. what, though? Koala thumbs. Yes. That koala had proper terrifying koala thumbs. Weirdo and I thumbs. Approve. <laughs> like, they're making these characters approachable for children. They have been very known to take liberties with, with animal physiology to make yeah. them more cuddly and more approachable. But I guess because the koala was an asshole, which is also accurate. Yeah. The koala was allowed to have freak thumbs. And, and like, it's also one of those things that as an animator... You would just gloss the fuck over that most of the time. <laughs> it's not worth going out of your way to represent a koala's thumb completely correctly. So, you know, big props on that front. <laughs> you imagine if the 90s Blinky Bill cartoon had all the koalas having freaky double thumbs? That'd be so good. I would have loved that. I want to see the puppet. <laughs> yeah. With horrifying thumbs. Yes. <laughs> Alright, we can't blame Disney for that. Yeah, that's that's our beef. Go, come back for it. I, I want to see Americans doing a Blinky Bill rewatch podcast. <laughs> what the fuck is this? What do you mean rewatch? Nobody here watched that fucking cartoon. <laughs> I mean the I mean the puppet show. You know there was a live action Blinky Bill in the in the eighties. What? There was a live action Blinky Bill in the eighties, and no. it was all puppets, and it was super unsettling because oh, the no. puppets were all like you know. A goanna puppet that's about the size of a oh. child. It's so good. Oh, that's and, creepy. And, I don't know if I like this. And all the talent, all the humans you see are like the ABC newsreader and the Ooh. play school people at the time. It's really good. It's really horrifying. If I see Michael Tun talking to a child-sized goanna, I might not be able to keep my sanity. Uh, no, you would see him running away because he was being threatened by the goanna. <laughs> see okay at least the goanna was aggressive i'll give them points for that but we're getting off track we're talking about disney's weird ass australian representation you got any more specific points because i have a few like there's a lot of them that would just pass without comment but i still want to comment on them because like fuck you what the shit is joanna being afraid of climbing oh yeah i got a note for that like what <laughs> what do you think Goannas fucking do. How do you think this works? Every do you think they eat eggs off the fucking ground normally? <laughs> Every human who has been injured by a goanna has usually been injured because it tried to climb them. And at that point, you have 17 kilos of, let's effectively say, a big tegu <laughs> clambering up your body with extremely feral claws. Oh, because they're a seppo who thought it would be fun to have a monitor lizard for a pet. In which case, you get what you deserve. <laughs> but here, if you've been injured by a goanna, it's almost certainly because they tried to climb you in a hurry, yes. Yeah. They did- th she has really small claws for yeah, a, she's so... a goanna, doesn't she? Like, they have massive fucking talons. Yeah, but she's about the right size for an iguana. <laughs> I mean, her body mass is not far off a, a good size. Like, yeah, yeah. She's slightly exaggerated, but she could be a big goanna. That's not hard to believe. Yeah. But just, she got really small claws. Appropriate sized teeth. Yeah. Like, they're, they're not very toothy. No. And they do, like, you know, they have some things in common with iguanas. Iguana. They have some things in common with iguanas, clearly, because, like, the way she tried to swallow the eggs and everything, spot on. Very yeah. nice, yeah? Like it, like it. Yeah. Good, good animation. She does have lovely character animation, by the way. I don't want to... I don't want to slam on that. Yeah. It's, it's just, I wish they'd used an actual Goanna. Goanna... Joanna is kind of a based queen. <laughs> <laughs> the... Most of the jokes in this film are very not funny, uh, but the egg sequence, <laughs> the egg sequence is I have that, great! I have that in my whatever land of, like, special mention for the egg sequence. Love it! That's good <laughs> shit! Uh, did you get mad when the kangaroo needed to reach something that was behind it just out of its reach? <laughs> 
and it extended its tail like a pointy rod. <laughs> did you did you look at that and go, motherfucker? Have you never looked at a kangaroo trying to affect something behind it in your life? Show me you've never gotten into a fist fight with a kangaroo without showing me you've never gotten into a fist fight with a kangaroo. Oh my god. It's so, it's such a no-brainer. And then, like, hang on, that's a weird fucking choice. You think they use their tail like a staff? What? Mm. I, I also don't think anyone there appreciates just how fast kangaroos are. Like, you could tell that they looked at kangaroos in a zoo setting where it's just like, we're, twel- we're several meters away and we're just very politely watching them go about their day as they lope gently around. It's like, oh, they must be like some variety of Australian furry cow. You know, it's basically a barn animal. Like, no, no, <laughs> no. In fact, in that entire room, Joanna is the thing that is definitely not winning all the fights. I want- say like for that matter a fucking frill neck lizard yeah. is not going to be caught by a goanna if it doesn't want to be like they maybe move. if you get it by surprise but the, yeah they go like stink yeah you're not gonna catch that yeah for just just fantastically fast moving little things there but then the proportions on frank are all wrong it's true he's a weirdo like he he is basically a uh a cartoon lizard character from another story already he's, he's except for the frill he's a gecko basically yeah he's, he's uh he, actually, he looks like the lizard from Alice in Wonderland again, now that I think about it. Not the exact same, but yeah, yeah he's pretty much the chimney sweep lizard. But if you want to do like a combat tier list in that room, okay, fine. Cody and Frank are at the bottom. <laughs> but Joanna is not the top. And the no. koala might be above no. her. I mean, I saw a platypus there. Yeah, that 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 is a terrifying little animal. I mean, it depends entirely on whether that platypus is a boy or a girl, I guess. But... Yeah, true. 50-50 chance that anything is gonna die. Yeah, and uh, that's that's one of the other things about this, like, the whole image of Australia. This is this is an element from Edward Said's Orientalism. The culture that is being depicted is always depicted as being helpless in some way. Like, bound... Like, one of the things that he was very fond of pointing out is the way that Americans and the West would often depict uh, Arabic people as being bound by honor so even if there was something terrible they didn't want to do they had to do it they were helpless in the face of the no, organization we're very fond of that when it comes to exoticizing other cultures yeah as if as if Amer- as if england didn't have exactly the same kind of bullshit oh, i think you'll find that white european culture doesn't have any notions of like honor or tradition that <laughs> affect their actions in silly ways that are against their best interests come on talon christ yeah they're the only clear-headed people in the world if you had had those animals in that room and you were the guy responsible for putting them there, and you ever went in that room again, you would die. That kangaroo is not going to be stopped by having a thing around its neck. That kangaroo is going to reach you, and it's going to fuck you up. No, in fact, the neck might be the least useful part of a kangaroo to restrain. Like, it's what is, It's not going to bite you. That's not what no, it's here for. No, the head is not the scary part. <laughs> the, all the other parts are the scary in, in part. Fact, yes, exactly. Literally every other part. Though, though to be fair, sorry, let's not understand <laughs> the fact that kangaroo will sometimes bite off fingers. Sure, I mean, it will bite you if it needs to. That's just the least important thing it's going to do. Yeah, just... Yeah, <sighs> it's it's a thing. I mean, I yeah, the whole the whole animal comedy sequence is a bit off in general. But, yeah. Also, the driving the truck through the bush and having it just draw a line through it. The, the, <laughs> uh, the Australian bush is, in fact, notoriously hard to clear at all. The phrase that you, they used in the... Uh, the phrase they used just post-war was the trees do not love the axe. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's true. I mean, they they went some, they made some concession to this in the fact that they made it a fucking tank bulldozer. Oh, yeah. Um, But, yeah, you know, you're not going to get over too many. You're not going to get between rainforest trees in that thing. <laughs> no. And you're not going <laughs> to knock them down. I don't care how big your tank is. Nonsense. I mean, if tanks won jungle warfare... <laughs> Sentence end. <laughs> yeah, sentence end. <laughs> All right, so finally, one last little Americans are idiots about Australia note. When does Wilbur suggest that he pencil them in for their cute little romantic vacation to <laughs> Australia? I knew it. I fucking knew you were going to get to this. <laughs> After the spring thaw, mid June would be nice. <laughs> Ha <laughs> 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 <laughs>
I'm handling it. <clears throat> Maybe he was just trying to sell the discount ticket. I, I love the idea. Like, obviously he wants it to thaw there. In Yes. It, but, like, imagine coming here in June. <laughs> imagine touching down in Sydney Harbour in winter and going, Oh my god, if I wanted this, I could have visited England. <laughs> If I wanted it to be 19 degrees and blowing a gale, <laughs> I had other options. They were a lot closer. Could have just gone to Maine. Mm. <sighs> God. It's... Uh... It's invisible but... ink. It's stuff that they don't even realize that they don't realize. And on one hand, I guess it's good for us. Like, I feel like any person in a developed world, fully drenched in the benefits of white colonialism kind of country, should have to feel like this sometimes. Yeah. Because I can only imagine how much worse this is if you're still not enjoying 90% of the benefits Yeah. of this bullshit. Like, it's so... <sighs> it's hard to put into words. And I feel like I'm sitting here complaining and, you know, somebody who who was indigenous or, you know, <laughs> somebody from the South Sea Islands or yeah. somebody from, oh, God, pick a place, probably Puerto Ricans more than us even. Just, Anyone who went through the school system, oh. the stolen generation or our age. Yeah, like I feel like I'm doing a lot of complaining about this for someone who's still ultimately a white Anglo-Saxon Australian. From a settler state. I mean, it's yeah. Australia, they're all settler state. The the thing I would put up as a benchmark here is that Disney showed this level of grotesque disrespect and cultural ignorance in representing us, and we're white. Yeah, and that's what I'm getting at. It's just, I, I can't even imagine. I'm, I'm so sorry, really. Well, cast your mind back. We watched The Crows this year. It doesn't get better and it doesn't go away. So, uh... With that bright, shining light of an exploration, <laughs> do you want to move on to Whateverland? Yeah, let's see if we've got any notes for this movie that are just fun and or interesting without being deeply upsetting. Well, I had three, but one of them was about how the egg sequence is really funny. <laughs> ah, very fun. Um, I mean, uh, I just want to remark that this, if not for all the shitty handling of Australia, this would be a really fun movie. Yeah. I am so here for this eco-adventure bullshit. Yeah. I love it. I, I wanted to be this kid. I, I like the message that, hey, maybe poaching is bad. I am absolutely fine. Like, people complained in the critical reception about, you know, oh, it's a preachy movie about protecting the environment. Like, yeah. Fuck off. Yeah, good. And I am a 38-year-old man who has grown up with preachy messages about protecting the environment and also a whole range of other preachy messages and the ones that I like and have held on to are the ones about how maybe we shouldn't burn this planet to a fucking cinder. I am so fucking sick of hearing, uh, and it's always Americans for some fucking reason. Really? I am so sick of hearing people complain about preachy 90s environmentalism. Fuck off. We clearly needed more of it. Yeah. It didn't work. You people are still dickheads about it. But also, this is barely even preachy. Yeah. You could very easily recontextualize any of this as... No, the kid has a very personal stake in all of this. He wants to save his pet eagle. Uh, and, and he's angry at this poacher for killing a bunch of animals that he can fucking talk to. They're people as far as he's concerned. It's not... It's not even Fern Gully. Yeah. Ah. Like, oh, so, I, I never want to hear that complaint again. That's all I'm saying. Just get over it. Get the fuck over it. I also never want to hear about how a villain is boring because their only motivation is capitalism. Well, what a big fucking surprise that turned out to be. Get out. Uh, Frank introduces a type of character we've been missing for a while now, a.k.a. The Load. Stupid annoying one. <laughs> Nothing Frank does in this story would not be improved or solved by the removal of Frank. <laughs> no, the entirety of the, the scenes with the animals are a closed loop. Yep. I... I want to say there was, like, a scene in the book where they tried to have them escape and go help afterwards. Um, but that's clearly not in the movie, and they don't. They just go away forever once their little comedy relief fit's done, yep. so... Uh. See also all the stuff about Wilbur's back. There's a yeah, couple of true. different closed loops. It's And it's all there for comedy relief, which is very obvious. It's just that I don't find it very funny. Imagine if it had been funny. We'll always have the egg scene, at least. <laughs> the egg scene's not bad. Um, my other point is... Bernard fucking murked someone. Hell yeah, he did. <laughs> that was my other note. <laughs> I 
I mean, no, he just he just pushed him to the mercy of the crocodiles. No, that, that as far as I'm concerned, that mouse has a kill count. The the fall didn't kill him. It was the sudden stop at the end. And Avatar Kyoshi hovers in the background, saying, "Frankly, I don't see the difference." Mm. <laughs> <clears throat> um. Also, a, a point of character development for Bernard, I guess. <laughs> In that uh, he he lost the superstition thing totally in this yeah. movie. Yeah, like he's just generally a bit timid, but they totally removed the specific uh, hang-ups that he had in the first one, which is interesting. I guess they thought they wouldn't land with '90s kids the same way they would have with uh, late '70s, early '80s kids. Maybe I, I still can't remember what exact year First Rescuers was. Yeah, I guess we didn't really talk about the characters in this basically at all. In the end, did we? They're fine. They're a bit sort of Flanderized versions of themselves, I guess. Like yeah. Bianca is more careless than she's ever been, and which is a bit of a step down considering you got to remember she's the original character who's the protagonist of these books. Yeah, yeah, and even in the first one, like the difference was that she was like she was a bit thoughtless, but it's because she was bold. Yeah, gung ho adventure. Yeah, and she's still sort of gung ho, but she also doesn't really do anything in this one. Nope. Like she she's active at the climax, but aside from that, she's just like, Yes, oh yes, definitely, let's go and do the things. So she's like a motivating force for that. But then it's it's Jake who actually does all the stuff to get things done. Anyway. And uh and they're both just kind of assholes to Bernard. Like, they cannot be bothered to check in with him when they walk away. Just And, like, also, on one hand, you could point out that they are under a time crunch, but also they're not acting like it. <laughs> no, they're not. They're having quiet romantic moments and chatty story scenes. And, I mean, they're always moving forward, I guess, but they don't act like they're in a rush, so you definitely couldn't justify mistreating a teammate for it. Especially when you had, like, that sugar glider possum thing you could have been flying the whole way. Anyway. You couldn't have- that would have fucking died. Fair enough. Those things are desperately fragile. Do you have any idea how much nectar they need to eat just to keep alive? Yeah, but I would also- Especially when they're the size of a cat! Well, that's the thing. If if you're talking about a sugar glider the size of a possum, you're essentially (laughs) going, it's a possum that can fly. And no, possums are not fragile. Possums are pretty durable. Once again- Depends what kind of possum you get. Yeah, fair enough. Because you keep saying possum, and I'm thinking like a lead beater's possum, which is like this big. Oh, no! Basically a sugar glider without the flaps. No. But I assume you're thinking of a brush-tail possum. Yes. Which lives in your roof and will fucking shred your face if you go near it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but those definitely can't fly, partly because they're essentially a heavy football with hair. <laughs> and claws. Lots of claws. They got big claws. Would you like to take a journey now to the streets of capitalism? Oh, yeah, oh, you know, that's our inevitable destination, isn't it? We do not know the budget for this movie. We don't? No. That's an odd one. So what I would ask is, do you think this movie had a good opening weekend or a bad one? Um, I can't imagine that this movie did badly. Uh, it, it was cashing in on a popular craze. Uh, and it's exactly the kind of movie that would do well and still be mostly forgotten. Because it's very empty fluff kind of fun for kids kind of. That uh, would not be remembered as Disney art. So I'm gonna say it did gangbusters. No. No? This movie made three and a half million in its opening weekend. And Katzenberg was so shaken by this that they cancelled all TV advertising and promotion for this movie. Three and a half million was a bad opening for this? Oh yeah. I feel like not two movies ago that was great. Here's the thing. This movie opened on the same weekend as Rocky V, Child's Play 2, and Home Alone. Oh, okay. See, for a second there I was like, how the fuck is that competition? Nobody who saw The Rescuers Down Under would have gone and seen Rocky instead. Yeah. But yeah, okay, they went and saw Home Alone instead, I get it. So it depends on how you want to cut this. You can either say Katzenberg had no faith in it and therefore didn't promote it, and that's why it didn't make as much money. Or you can say Katzenberg could tell that Home Alone was Godzilla, and he had to get out of its way. There's no reason it couldn't be both. Because, I mean, we've already established, fuck Katzenberg, right? Yeah. This also led to the cancellation of a Rescuers TV series that then had to be hastily retooled. Ah, ah, there it is! Ah, dear. It is a weird jump from, uh, this film didn't do too well, we better not do the series with these characters, and instead pull out fucking Chip and Dale, who, like, they they were not a big event at this point. 
I guess they were just there and available because they weren't part of Disney's precious babies. There's there's a whole political wing of how the TV series got made and the rights to various Disney characters, and that's a whole thing. But what I will say is this movie still absolutely smashed it at the box office after that brutal opening weekend. Ah, okay. It made $44 million. There we go, yeah. So not Oliver and Company numbers and not Little Mermaid numbers, but definitely numbers. I mean, there's no way it would have made Little Mermaid numbers because we know how this... We know the trajectory that this studio turns on from here on in. Yeah. So you can view (laughs) The Rescuers Down Under as kind of an atavism of kind of the last best movie of Disney of the 80s. Imagine if it had been in the opposite order, right? Like, yeah. If this had come one movie before Little Mermaid instead of one movie after it. Yeah. Or, or if this movie had come out before Oliver and Company. Because it's way better than Oliver and Company. And if you, if you swap this and Oliver and Company in the timeline, that previous season is full of all movies that make sense compared to one another. And this season becomes nothing but musicals that inexplicably kick the doors in. I mean, that, that's, that's the reason why this movie is the footnote of the Disney Renaissance. It's it's weird and out of place. And, you know, in, in some sense, it didn't get as well as it deserved, I guess. But in on another sense, oh, it makes me so goddamn angry to watch it as an Australian that I, I can't really have sympathy for it either. Incandescently angry. And even not as an Australian, the, the characters are all kind of buttholes, like we said. Oh, yeah. So it's, you know, once again, the shape of what could have been. I'm still so mad about what they did to Joe Ramp's idea. That's such a good idea. Yeah, hell yeah. But still, way better than Oliver and Company. And so we're left here with this sort of, like, exhausted sadness. We are. Like, this has been a draining experience talking about this movie. <laughs> I feel so strange. And, and I feel sad and angry at the fact that it wasn't better. That, that's it. That, that really is it. It's the same. It's it's a lot like the feeling I had out of The Black Cauldron, but whereas The Black Cauldron, I loved the movie that it wanted to be, and I could like kind of accept, like, all right, you tried. You did what you could with what you had. Whereas in this, I love the sweeping movement and the pro-animal message and the beautiful attempts at Australian animalia, and I love what this movie could have been, and they explicitly didn't bother to do. You, with Black Cauldron... You loved the movie that it could have been, but you didn't hate the movie that it was. No, you're right. That's exactly it. It didn't make you angry for what it wasn't. Yeah. Whereas this... This this makes me angry for what it's not. Oh, fucking God. (laughs) So close. Wilbur says throw another shrimp on the bar. Oh my God. How did I not make a note of that? I never want to hear that fucking frick. Look, if if you're a goddamn American and you don't know this, we don't say shrimp. Nobody says shrimp. They're prawns. Paul Hogan said that because that's what Americans wanted to hear it called. He was talking to you. And it became the bane of our existence. I... Ugh! Never say this to me. Just don't. (laughs) It's the essential position where Americans will talk to us as if that one episode of The Simpsons is literally all they know about oh Australia. My God, I never want to hear a joke from that episode of The Simpsons again, either. And they think that the ignorance they're displaying is funny. That's funny. They respect enough to know anything about you that's not a parody. That's 20 years old. I, you know the whole cultural cringe phenomenon? Yeah. I was... That's an Australian term. It is, yes. But I, like, I was very embarrassed of, of... Ocker Australian culture, uh, particularly as a teenager and a young adult. Like, I did not ever want to hear you say good day. Yeah. Because, like, no one here says that. Stop saying that at me. That's a version of Australia that's not real. But it's not that I hate the the Ocker culture that's here. I hate the version of it that went through America and got spat back out at me. And, like, <laughs> this is why you guys are all like, hey, mate. Oh, God. Oh. Fucking God. You may think you do a great Australian accent. You don't. Jai Courtney is Australian and he doesn't do a great Australian accent. Well, I mean, partly because they told him to do a shitty American Australian accent. Fuck. (laughs) Speaking of things that piss me off. (laughs) Which is why I still kind of think of Jake as the saving grace of this movie. Because he, like, he is an awkward Australian. But he at least sounds like a real one. He is a mouse copy 
of, of Crocodile, Crocodile Dundee, and he's a less objectionable <laughs> asshole. Distinctly more authentic than Crocodile Dundee. And we know that Jake the Mouse hasn't cheated on his taxes, so... <laughs> well, I... Hang on a minute. If the name you have on those filings is Jake the Mouse, then he might have cheated on his taxes. <laughs> because no Australian native animal is a mouse. <laughs> I had a note in my cards that said I liked that they tried to make the Australian native things that were mice-like look remarkably different from yeah. the mice they drew in the first one, and then I realized it's not. That's just how they're drawing mice now. They look exactly <laughs> the fucking same, except for Jake. Mm. That was annoying. I'm also disappointed that we didn't see other comparable species in those roles in the other places they hopped to. Like, yeah. I know mice have gotten everywhere. It's not that they couldn't be there. It's just like... You had this opportunity to show, like, what what might fill the role of a small, you know, household critter o- occupying the same niche as a mouse in, you know, Hawaii or the the fucking islands there. The Marshall Islands? Yeah. That's also American territory. Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. It's basically the message went out of Australia and immediately into American territory, which is a curious one. Imagine if there was, say, major trade hubs near us. Uh, oh, well, yeah. I'm sure that didn't come up. No. Sorry, I, if we do <laughs> so not put we a, got back into complaining again. <laughs> if we do not put a lid on this, I yeah. am just going to find right. another thing Here. to be angry about. So we're going to close the eggs door. Hey, Fox, what's next? What's next? Overrated. <laughs> Disney Renaissance. Oh my god! Yes, behold my most controversial Disney opinion ever. Beauty and the Beast is overrated. The animated prequel to Emma Stone's live-action The Beauty no! and the Beast. No! Okay, no, I, I'm sorry. I uncurl this monkey's paw. Beauty and the Beast is fine. It's great. I love it. Beautiful, fantastic work of art. Perfect. Never change it. Hey, we're done. No.